Good morning. As, as you find your seat this morning, <laughs> I'm going to ask uh, Stephen and Modesto to come up. Also, Jesse, Ethan, and Mario to come on up. So you're all aware that some church discipline is to be done in public, right? <laughs> Well, these three young men have been disciplined in 2023, but in a different way. They have um, disciplined themselves. They have um, subjected themselves and committed themselves to a pretty rigorous schedule in 2023. <laughs> Um, they have taken part in uh, every single ministry here at Refuge. Uh, this was all to, to build them up, to train them up, um, that they would be familiar with uh, the manner in which this church functions, how decision, decisions are made. Uh, they've been a part of the leadership meetings that we have. And um, so they've encouraged, been encouraged not only to... Uh, to uh, be a part of the schedules on a monthly basis uh, of the various ministries, but also to keep up with men's uh, Bible studies, their own work, their own families, their own responsibilities outside of the church, and they have faithfully executed all of these things. And so I wanted to bring these three young men before you because we're going to pray for them. I don't know what the Lord has in store for them as far as, you know, specific callings within the church, but I know that they are to continue to participate in the service unto the Lord within the context of ministry, the body of Christ. And so for that, we should all pray for them as we pray for the church to see where it is that the Lord has us serving him. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, in verse 11, <clears throat> and I think of this often, where it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so, as we equip the saints for the work of the ministry, it's really uh, the Lord has designed it to function in such a way that it begins to build itself up in love. And so the momentum increases and the effectiveness of the church increases. And we see more people not only come to salvation, but also be discipled in Christ, to be taught how to follow Jesus Christ, to live for him, for his glory. And so these men have given themselves to that. Um, they've, I'm sure, learned much along the way. I would encourage you to ask them uh, what they've learned and um, in how it is that you can be encouraged as well. All right, so um, we have Ethan, Mario, and Jesse. And so come on up. We're going to pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for these three young men, these brothers, Lord, that have given themselves to serving you, Lord, uh, in a way that few people do. Really, few people would subject themselves to such a strenuous schedule. Few people would sacrifice their own time as if it was. <laughs> but they have learned 
Lord, throughout this year, how to be servants. Lord, because you tell us in your word that he who is above all is a servant of all in your economy. And so, Father, I ask that above all, that they have learned this past year to be that, to be servants of all. To not regard themselves at all, but to regard you, to glorify you and not touch that glory. To walk faithfully with you, even as you tell us to, as you tell us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you. So I ask, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit, anoint them, continue to prepare them and equip them for further ministry within your church. So we lift them up to you. We ask your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. So yesterday, um, we went out to Andulka Park. There was a you know, we're going to look at the 72. It wasn't 72 that went out. I think it was 32. And uh, it was a, a, a great time of going out as a church. And, and uh, really, w- what we were there to do is, uh, of course, ultimately, we would love to have led someone to Christ, right? To see that moment when they surrender their lives to Christ. But remember that, um, you know, we're also there to plant seeds, to water seeds, to encourage people and so that's, those are the opportunities that the Lord gave us. It was, so it's something that we have um, been doing and will continue to do on a regular basis. Uh, one of the things that we're going to offer is, uh, is a, a class on how to witness. And so I would encourage you to keep your ears perked up and listen up because that will be announced here in the near future. Uh, we need to know how to go out and share uh, our testimony, uh, how to share uh, who Jesus Christ is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so um, that'll be coming up. But that was truly just a wonderful time. And it leads really right into the study this morning in the, in the gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 10 is where we're at. And we started out uh, as we saw how it was that Jesus is sending out the 72 disciples outside of the 12 that were sent out before that. And now the 72 have been sent out. So they're out, they're out in the towns and we're going to see the moment when they come back and report to Jesus, um, you know, about what they had really seen and heard. We, it's very brief as to what we have, but it's what's important for us to, to see and to learn from. So this is Names Written in Heaven, part two, and we're going to be reading to begin in Luke chapter 10, verse 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know that this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Oh, Father, as we come into the study of your word and this specific section of scripture, Lord, we ask that you would give us understanding. Lord, that you would help us to apply what we hear, that as we learn it, we may apply it in such a way that it honors and just glorifies you, Lord, that it demonstrates to you our love for for you. And so we ask your blessing upon this time of study. 
Again, we ask that you would give us understanding and that you would be blessed, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin this morning with Jesus declaring, as we just read, these harsh judgments on the towns and the cities and the people who reject him. Now, we know that the reason for this judgment is not out of vengeance. It's not because he simply wants to uh, have some kind of um, response to his rejection, but it's because of their unbelief. Because without belief, condemnation remains. In John chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So even though the, the wrath of God is poured out on those who refuse to believe him, it is not because he delights in doing this. Sometimes we have the perspective of the world or we, we believe the world's perspective, what they say about God's wrath and why he pours it out. How can a loving God judge and condemn such people? Well, he condemns no one, but he judges righteously. You see, a person chooses to be eternally condemned. A person also chooses to believe, and by believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it's through that that a person is saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, it says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. His desire is that we would not experience God's wrath. We experience man's wrath. But he wishes that none perish. But all would know eternal life in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his only begotten that he sent to die on the cross to shed his blood for, for, for the forgiveness of sins. And so I begin by pointing this out because we need to understand God's heart. We need to understand the lengths to which he has gone and continues to go by being gracious and long-suffering in order to give people every opportunity to repent and believe. You know, I think of my own life. And I look back to my shame, and I think about those times, because my sister came to faith at a very young age, but I remember that I was full of myself, full of the world. And, and I remember how it was that I behaved toward the church. And it is to my shame, and God had given me every opportunity to turn to my sister would invite me to different events, outreaches, things like that. I am sure that the church was praying for me. God is long suffering. And I remember the moment when the Lord started to really soften my heart. And it came from a place that you would never expect. From someone that I, I didn't think would be sharing the gospel with me. And, and yet, it was just a demonstration of God's grace, his long-suffering, his mercy, his love for me. As he loves me, so he loves you. You see, he gives us every opportunity to repent and believe. When the Lord heals your marriage, it is not so you could go 
spend that reconciled marriage on yourself, but it is to testify of him. When the Lord gives you good health, he's delivered you from something that was debilitating. Your life is not to be spent on yourself, but it's meant to glorify him. He is long-suffering. He's gracious. He gives us every opportunity to repent and believe. We need to also see God's heart and that he desires that all reach repentance. And he has chosen you and I, his people, to be messengers of reconciliation who bring the gospel to those who are lost, that they also may believe and know salvation in Jesus Christ. That they may see the testimony of your own life as you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Or the radical change in your own life that they too may know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To have a new heart, new purpose, new hope. And so I remind you of this importance. The importance of of what Jesus is doing with his own disciples at this moment. He is preparing his disciples. Jesus was teaching his disciples to understand what is really at stake here. Do we understand that? Or are we still full of ourselves? This is what he was teaching his disciples. And so we are reminded of this importance of the preparation of the disciples. Jesus was teaching his disciples to understand again what is at stake here and what his desire was for them to accomplish in these towns that he sent them into. You see, he was preparing them to live the gospel. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but every single day and wherever they went to communicate the gospel. Romans 10, 15 says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You've been sent, by the way. Each and every one of you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the Great Commission. This is for all of us. And so, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. By the way, that's a quote of the Old Testament. Therefore, they, as we, were to be prepared with the gospel and word, tough-minded in spirit, to know how to take and respond to rejection, And being led by the Spirit of God to persevere and be strengthened, to be steadfast and faithful to doing the work of an evangelist and leading people to Christ. Remember, they're also being taught how to follow instructions, how to be obedient to the Word of God and therefore submit themselves to Jesus Christ and His Word. We also are reminded when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, oh, they are few. And the reason why the laborers are few, and I remind you of this, is because people tend to offer excuses as to why they cannot follow through and follow Jesus and be obedient to him in whatever circumstances they're in to do his work. And we saw that. In, in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. So for us, what do we learn from that? Good offering excuses, right? Oh, Lord, I take every opportunity. Lord, you have these circumstances before me that I may glorify you, that I may testify of you. You are good and faithful. You are gracious. That your strength may be shown through my weakness in the moment. So let let us not offer excuses. Just simply learn, grow, mature, and spread the gospel as far and as wide as we possibly can. Jesus' ultimate desire was that his disciples would go and prepare people to see him, point them to him, 
that they may see Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Messiah, and that their names would be written in heaven as they repent and believe in Jesus. Therefore, the stakes are high, heaven or hell. There's no in between. Secondly, God desires none perish, but all repent and believe. Thirdly, that we as his people, as his disciples, would be heavenly minded and lead people to Christ. And fourthly, to be those followers who teach others how to follow as we follow. So let's take a look at how it is God's perspective, what he wanted the disciples to understand. Because here are the woes. This is, this is a warning of really the consequences of unbelief that are coming to the towns who reject those who bring the message of the gospel. Woe to the unrepentant. Again, in verse 10, he's speaking to the 72, and he says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And he goes on to say, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The stakes are high. We're talking eternity. It's not something to take lightly. You see, Jesus wanted to make sure that the, the cities that rejected his messengers and the message, the gospel message that they were sent to deliver to them, that they would know the price of rejecting him. Even today, as we read these scriptures, oh, that the cities would take heed and understand what's at hand. Again, I remind you of this and jot it down. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because we remain in our sins because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Romans 3.10 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. We know Romans 3.23, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. So we know that just in those two verses, and as we go through, and as we know our own hearts, that we have all fallen short of God's holy and perfect standard. So Jesus is, is telling his disciples that he's sending out and warning them about what it would mean to those cities that rejected him. Woe means to denounce. It is a public condemnation. It is also an exclamation of pain and anger. It is an expression of horror communicating that sorrow awaits. And when Jesus told his disciples in verses 10 through 12 to wipe off the dust from their feet of the town that does not receive them, and that it will be more bearable for Sodom than for that town. The disciples at that point should, should have been sober-minded, fully aware, understanding what this meant. That sorrow awaits, condemnation, eternal punishment. This was not the swinging mood of a capricious God. but the righteous judgment of a holy God that awaits those who reject God's grace and therefore by default they choose to remain in their sin and its condemnation. It is by choice. No one goes to hell by force. Everyone that is in hell is there by choice because they've rejected 
the one who offers salvation. I was thinking about this, and you know, for those of you who have children, perhaps you can relate to this. You know, a child, there's none righteous, no, not one. Children, they've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that to be true, and it doesn't take long for us to understand that, right? As parents, we see that. But it's like a child after having done something that is worthy of punishment. That that child is given the opportunity to not be punished. And instead to accept perhaps their father's grace by taking responsibility for their actions. Asking for forgiveness. But in the moment refuses and instead gets disciplined. You desire that they would simply repent. Acknowledge their sin, turn from it, asking for forgiveness, not, I'm sorry I got caught. That's, that's not, it's not what you're looking for, right? Mom, dad, as we would tell our boys, uh, you know, I'm sorry is not good enough. You got you to gotta say, I'm, I'm sorry, and please forgive me. child was worthy of discipline already and so a refusal to accept the father's grace only assured discipline would be applied always deserved so we discipline God disciplines those whom he loves and so it is that we discipline discipline is to train up uh, it, it's amazing how it is that God connected the rear end with the brain and when there's a misfiring somehow that discipline connects those nerves, and all of a sudden gives the child understanding, right? <laughs> it's in a like manner that sometimes we knuckleheads, we are so stubborn, so prideful, that although God offers us grace, he needs to discipline those whom he loves so that we would come to an understanding. And we would be trained up, that we would be straight with him. For humanity, we are in sin. And God offers that grace through Jesus Christ. We remain in that sin. We remain condemned. And so we will be forever in the lake of fire one day. But we will remain separated from God because we have not received his grace by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because when Jesus paid for our sins, he paid for them in full on the cross. It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that gives us the opportunity to, as we surrender our lives to him, to know the payment for our sins in Jesus Christ. Knowing the forgiveness of our sins, God's grace in its fullness, and one day seeing him in his fullness in his glory in heaven. But if we refuse, well, we remain condemned in our sin. Jesus wanted to convey this to his disciples. Think about that next time you're praying for your lost relative, a brother or sister, a child, your parents, a friend, a coworker. Because that's what's at stake. That's what Jesus wanted to make sure that his disciples understood. For those cities that reject Jesus, the disciples were to tell them, nevertheless know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. You know, for those who reject Jesus, that's what they'll hear. That's what you may hear again. If you're sitting here this morning, it's by no coincidence. If you're here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I pray that you don't hear that a second time in hell. The kingdom of God has come near. Salvation has been offered. And you rejected it time and time again. I pray that today be the day of salvation for you. No matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are even right now. 
As Alan Redpath said, salvation is the miracle of a moment. There's nothing that you have done, whether you've rejected him, turned your back on him, are a prodigal son or daughter. There's nothing that can stop the grace of God from being poured out upon you. You simply need to turn from your sin, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Again, I think of myself, the moment that I realized there was nothing, that he died for all of my sins, past, present, and future, that there was nothing that I could do to gain salvation, that it was all done on the cross. That I realized I, in my surrender to Jesus Christ, that I was truly forgiven. How sad to know this, that is that the disciples were told to do this very thing and to hear this. And yet it is true of so many people today. So many people have heard and rejected Jesus and the salvation that is offered by God is grace offered week in and week out, day in and day out. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were well-known pagan cities. Jesus was not saying that these or any other pagan cities would be excused, but that the cities of Galilee that did see the miracles and the works of Jesus would experience an even greater condemnation. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 took place in Bethsaida. You can go back to chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. There's no mention of a miracle performed in Chorazin, but this doesn't mean that this is a mistake or that no miracles were performed there or that Jesus didn't teach there, but only that the Bible did not record those specific details of what took place in Chorazin. Only we have it recorded here that they did experience and see for themselves the power of God. And he even goes on, even Capernaum, the city that was adopted by Jesus as his hometown, was not exempt. This place had heard many of Jesus' teachings and seen his miracles one after another after another. Even this place will be brought down to Hades, is what he said, because of their rejection of him. And so, Something that I, I read, David Guzik writes this, no one will have it good in hell, but some will have it worse than others, close quote. And Jesus wanted to make certain that his disciples knew very well what was at stake. If you don't take this to heart, that the souls of people are at stake here, if you do not have a heart for evangelism, if you don't have a heart for the lost, then shame on us. If you're saved and you couldn't care less about the world that is going to hell, then shame on us. This is what he wanted them to know. This is what he wanted them to walk in. Not in shame, but in just a, a clear understanding of God's heart, his desire. At the same time, he didn't want cowards. He didn't want weak men going out there and sharing the gospel. He wanted them to understand rejection. But that the rejection of them and their message was really the bottom line, a rejection of Jesus Christ and the Father. A servant of God beginning here in this place, understanding rejection is not to hold on to either praise or rejection. Neither one. We are to dwell and not, not dwell in rejection and not to dwell on praise. Those are two dangerous areas to dwell in. Hey, listen, we know and everyone agrees that rejection doesn't feel good. Yesterday, there were a few times 
as I was out there, that I was rejected. It didn't feel good. <laughs> but I realized that there's, there's a greater work. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel, his gospel. At the same time, praise feels pretty good, doesn't it? But there's a danger for the child of God that holds on to either one. One is absorbed in their discomfort, and the other is absorbed in their exaltation. Both become self-centered and miss the point of the message they have been sent to deliver, and the one that sent them. The only thing to be concerned about is whether the child of God has represented Jesus faithfully, properly, accurately. And so the Lord, first of all, wanted to make sure that these disciples, and it would serve them even later in the book of Acts, what was at stake. And so the first point is woe to the unrepentant. He wanted this to be understood by the disciples. Verse 17, as we continue, says the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice in your salvation. And so after some time, the 72 came back and, and they reported to Jesus. And they returned with joy is what we have described here. They turned with joy. But as they spoke, they were not rejoicing because of their reception or the reception of the gospel message. You know, all of those things. That's not what's recorded here. And so what's important is what's recorded here. This is what they came back saying. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Isn't that wonderful? They thought Jesus was going to like give them a pat on the back. This is where I, I said it on Wednesday. I'll keep saying it. Church, we got to grow up. We got to be mature in Christ. We can't be so thin-skinned that at every opportunity we express hurt feelings. Right? Jesus, he was training up his disciples in this way. They were rejoicing that the demons were subject to, to them in his name. Now, at least they didn't take credit for seeing how the demons were subject to them. But Jesus is pointing, pointing something about, uh, you know, that was important for them to understand, pointing that out to them. What they were about to learn will serve them for years to come, as I said, in their ministry of the early church as is seen in the book of Acts. And it is for you and I to understand and apply today. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, this is how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 17 says, Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. To Peter, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. For 
your heart, your, your mind is set on the things of the earth and not the things of heaven. And here, Jesus' response to his disciples was a, was a reference to Satan. Satan's fall was God's judgment on Satan's rebellion against him. God's complete judgment of Satan is still to come. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire. When the gospel is preached and received, Satan is cast off the throne of the heart of the person that receives Jesus Christ. And Jesus assumes that position in that person's heart. Satan suffers a defeat time and time again. And what Jesus was pointing out to his disciples is pride. Pride can manifest itself in so many different ways. In the victim as well as the very successful person who has authority and power. The very thing that Satan expressed is pride and was the cause of his fall. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Haman was hung on the very gallows that he had erected for Mordecai. He was a proud man. He was a stubborn man. And this is what the word tells us will come about to the man who is filled with pride, filled with himself. Yes, Jesus, uh, as we see here, had given them authority over serpents and scorpions and even demons, as we also read. But it wasn't to demonstrate just how awesome they were. It wasn't even something, as he was saying, it wasn't even something to boast about. How amazing that was. It was all to demonstrate that they had been sent by the Lord. They had gone in his name and with his power. This was so that they would know that the kingdom of God had come near. Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 10.17, it says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Listen, people are prone to become arrogantly impressed with all they, quote-unquote, do for God and the success of, quote-unquote, their ministry. It's not your ministry, and it's not my ministry. It's Jesus' church, and it's a ministry that's been entrusted to you and to me. We're stewards. But... People begin to take for themselves all the admiration of the people, begin to believe themselves to be more than they are, forgetting that they are simply slaves of the Lord, of the one who shed his blood for them. They forget that they've been given all they have in order to be faithful and fruitful as stewards of the gospel that has been entrusted to them. Be careful, because nothing tests a man more than success. Oh, I've, I've seen people forget about the Lord. Great things uh, are being done through them, and at some point they just forget the Lord. Don't touch God's glory. It belongs solely to him. So how does a follower of Jesus Christ remain humble? Rejoice not in what you believe you are accomplishing, but rather rejoice in one thing, one thing alone, that your names are written in heaven. That's what Jesus told his disciples. The 72 that he sent out and came back rejoicing that the demons are subject to them in his name. He said, oh, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice simply in this, that your names are written in heaven. That's all, rejoice in that. And so you and I also ought to take heed and do the same. As you, you rejoice in that, lead others to salvation so that they can rejoice with you. 
that their names are also written in heaven. In fact, I was reminded of what John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. By the way, those first three verses are just one sentence. You've heard a child that is excited. They just keep going on and on and on and on and on, right? It's like one sentence. You, you can read the excitement in the words of John as he's penning them. Oh, that we would simply be excited that our names are written in heaven and we would desire the same thing for others. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the gospel. Verse 21 says, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you, have seen, what you see. Uh, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Rejoice in the gospel. Pay attention to what Jesus rejoiced in. in. In this moment, as we see this, in this moment, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit that led him to express gratitude in the Father. Jesus, as it's described here, was literally thrilled with joy. Genuinely excited that the Father did not allow the people who are wise in their own eyes to understand the things, but rather that God used the foolish thing and uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, as we see written in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Simple in faith. Those are the ones who wouldn't be so wise as to not allow themselves to be placed in such predicaments as Jesus put them in. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, wait a minute. We need to think about this. No, 72 were sent with this warning. And you know how many went? 72. Several years ago, I remember, and I love the team that I went with to Haiti. Several years ago, if you remember, there were, I believe, 17 missionaries that were abducted in Haiti. That happened on a Saturday. We learned of it in the wee hours of Sunday. Sunday morning, I took the team, brought them all together, and I said, hey, this is what's happening in Haiti. We are set to go on mission to Haiti the next day. I, I, I understand if you don't want to go, but I'm giving you the opportunity for all those who... Uh, want to pull back and don't want to go, you're more than welcome to stay home. All of them said, we're in. Let's go. We went to Haiti. I can tell you that God's hand was upon it all. The ones who were called to go went. I can tell you that the world does not understand that. The, the world does not understand the urgency and what people of faith would put themselves into in order to bring about the message of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. The world does not understand that. There were families back here that didn't understand that. Why would you go into a hostile nation that had just abducted 17 missionaries and you, a team of missionaries, are going to go into that? I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Just go. 
Simple in faith. The wise wouldn't go. Because to the wise, it doesn't make sense to do that. You're going to jeopardize your own life? Jesus gave him his life for me. Why wouldn't I lay down my life for him? Why not? We're more interested in the freedoms we enjoy as Americans than for us to be willing to go lay down our life for one soul, let alone our neighbor. This wouldn't make sense. The wise would change it to make sense to them and perhaps make the gospel to be something that made sense to the world The wise of this world would boast of their success, be drunk with their success, desire more, and do anything in their power to achieve more success, even if it meant going only into safe places and changing the message to scratch the itchy ears of their listeners, learning what the people want instead of giving them what they need, even if it means offending them. No, Jesus thanked the Father for not rewarding the self-righteous pride of arrogant people who are wise in their own eyes, but instead revealed a simple message of the gospel to those who have the faith of a child. Matthew 18, 1 through 3. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child... He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. People today are still trying to give me more. I want you to prove to me that all this is true. The faith of a child, do you have that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die in your place on the cross? Do you believe that he was resurrected three days later and ascended and today sits at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe that? Jesus turns to his disciples and tells them, in verse 23, then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. These prophets, these kings, they all long to see the day of Christ. Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the child born, the son that was given, the, born, the one born of a virgin, and by whose stripes we are healed by whose shed blood the forgiveness of sin, sins is known. And yet they beheld him. He was with them. This is, O kings and prophets, have desired to see this day. And you are here. Take heed. Sons, my followers, take heed to what I'm telling you. Because what's at stake here are the souls of people. Be strong in the Lord. Go out and do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as you possibly can. So is your name written in heaven? Is it? The kingdom of heaven has come near. God is beckoning you. If you're sitting here again, I pray that God would just break down the barrier, any barriers that you have erected, anything, that would keep him out. That you would believe the whispers of Satan that you have done too much. That now is not the time. That maybe tomorrow is a better day. If you're lukewarm, Jesus warned, I wish that you would be hot or cold. In Revelation, he says, 
but lukewarm I spew you out of my mouth is what he says. We can't be a lukewarm people. We have to be all in. If he's stirring in your heart, if that's where you're at, you need to be one that's a living sacrifice. That you'd be completely given to him, committed, devoted, surrendered to him. If you're that prodigal, I pray that today would be the day of recommitment. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And for our church, that we would take heed to what you just heard this morning. Go and share the gospel with others. Lead people to Christ. Let it not be just every time that we as a church plan something on a Saturday to go to a park to share the gospel. It's not a once every while kind of a thing. It's an everyday occurrence. It should be with you and I. Have you been wise in your own eyes? Repent of your sins. And believe in Jesus Christ and know the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life in him. Have the faith of a child and trust in Jesus for your salvation and then walk in it. Let's walk in it. Right? Let's be that church that is genuine in our faith. We're strong in the Lord. And we do, and we conduct ourselves in such a way that's glorifying, honoring to the Lord. Do you desire to see more people come to salvation? Pray that you do. So you have an opportunity right now. For those of you who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, repent and believe. I'm going to ask Modesto and Stephen to come up and as the worship team comes up, I'm going to pray. And now's the time. Now's the time. You remember a long time ago, we went through a week of prayer and fasting? <laughs> Seems like a long time ago now, huh? How quickly we forget. It was just a couple weeks ago. That was it. Let us not lose what work was accomplished during that week of prayer and fasting. We prayed for many people to be saved, to be strengthened in the Lord, marriages to be strengthened, all of that. Come on up, Modesto. I'm going to pray for all of us here. If you don't know salvation, get up out of your seats and come forward. Let us pray with you. You need to recommit your life to the Lord. Get up out of your seat. Now, now's the time to do it. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Come up. If there's something in your life that, that needs to be prayed over, your marriage, children, parents, uh, neighbors, friends, whoever it is, come up. Now's the time. We need to be a praying church. If we're not a praying church, if we're not a church that's completely surrendered to the Lord, then we won't be an effective church. So I pray that you would do that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us, the instruction of your word. Truly, may we take it to heart. May we apply these things in such a way, Lord, that it blesses you, it glorifies you. Lord, demonstrating our love for you by being obedient to your word. Lord, I thank you for the work that you have accomplished this morning. And at the same time, Lord, as we understand what's at stake, Lord, what you were trying to teach your disciples in that moment, and what you're still desiring to teach us today, Lord, is that without Jesus Christ, we are eternally separated from you, and we remain in our sin, therefore in our condemnation, and our destination is hell. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who has not surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, that at this very moment, Father, they would repent of their sins and cry out to you, for your word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So, Father, that, I pray, would be their cry. They would be moved in such a way, Lord, that they would know the forgiveness of their sins and come up and allow us to simply pray for them and encourage them in their decision, in their surrender.
For by giving their lives, they will find it eternally. I pray for anyone, Lord, who is in a state of compromise. Oh, Lord, that the only thing that they would be ashamed of would be their sin. That they would repent at this very moment. Oh, Lord, lift that burden, please. Lord, I pray that they would give that burden to you. That they, too, would simply come up and allow us to encourage them. in that recommitment, Lord, in that repentance and would walk, being filled with your spirit afresh and, and walking with a joy, knowing your grace and your mercy. And I pray that you would, Lord, just move anyone who needs prayer for marriage, for their sufferings, Lord, for anything, Lord, that they would come. That we collectively would pray and lift these things up to you. And so, Father, I thank you for this time. Your faithfulness, you are truly wonderful. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.